0: Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And yeah, hopefully, everybody got notes just now. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And yeah, we're going to do our best tonight to cover the first half of this chapter. It starts with one of my favorite verses, one that always just, uh, I think, is a great word picture for us. And it kind of sticks in your mind. Because it starts with these two words, dead flies. And how many verses in the Bible start with dead flies? Well, I think this is the only one, so it kind of stands out for us. So here we go, Ecclesiastes 10, 1 through 10. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom. And honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Yea, also when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to every one that he is a fool. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offences. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in low place. I have seen servants upon horses, and princes walking as servants upon the earth. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whoso breaketh a hedge a serpent shall bind him. Whoso removeth stone shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. If the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. And tonight we're going to cover this passage. This is actually more like one of the Proverbs in many ways. But Solomon has given us this back-to-back-to-back-to-back information that can be very useful to our lives. So let's pray. Father, would you work now? As we cover these topics tonight, I pray that we would be able to apply them to our hearts and that you would guide us in in living out your truth. We ask it in your name. Amen. So dead flies caused the uh, ointment of the apothecary to send forth the stinking savor. And uh, there are are a lot of different approaches to this when you look at uh, the way people have gone about this verse in... Uh, commentaries and and books about Ecclesiastes and uh, some of them said that the apothecary uh, was the one who would create ointments and uh, the ointments that he created were ointments that were medicinal ointments, but many times there were also ointments that helped with smell and uh, if you 've ever been uh, to a place where they try to cover body odor with ointment instead of bathing basically talking about Europe here um, <laughs> and other places in the world you'll understand that that ointment is an important thing and uh, so the apothecary would be the one who would have all of the different uh, creations and he'd all, have all the different mixtures to create these ointments and many times The ointment was what we would see as a perfume or as a cologne. Uh, But the dead flies, it said, caused the ointment to stink. And when I think of it, I guess I have always thought of uh, like just a a tub of ointment. Um, For some reason, I think of the, uh, I don't know what it is that my wife got in two years ago. She must have gone to the nursery. Um, is there a deal called uh, the body shop? Is that, a, is that a deal? And they have these canisters of like uh, ointment, lotion, salve, body butter. That's a, So that's kind of what I'm thinking of. Uh, I'm thinking of this, this crate of body butter, and it gets a dead fly in it. Right? Now, I want you to think about, have you ever been to a, a family picnic where the flies were really going? Or maybe a church picnic. OK? And here, here's the deal. You had a piece of steak, OK? You have one fly land on your steak. Are you throwing your steak out? No, no way. All right? Especially if it's cooked right. How about two flies? OK, We go up. How about 50 flies? How many are you still eating the steak? Oh, we've got a couple hard hardliners here. <laughs> wow. All right, covered in flies, and John's got his protein right there. I like that. Um, we used to, when I was a teenager, I used to have, help my grandfather in the milk barn. And I've never seen so many flies in my life. That everything would be covered but with flies. Like, I'm not talking about hundreds or thousands, millions of flies in one barn. And it'd be Everywhere. And I I think of this verse and it just always has struck me because dead flies is something that we come to expect. And especially at certain times of year, as the weather begins to cool, we can expect that we're going to have flies all over. And you open the door and they're coming in and then you have to pay your kids off to go kill them. And inflation is causing the price to go up. When I was a kid, my mom paid a penny I tried to get my kids to kill flies for a nickel each. They wouldn't even stand up. You know, how about a buck? Um, and so you, you're taking care of all these flies. But here's the thing about this passage. The comparison at the end of the verse. Look what it says. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. I want you to walk in to... Expensive department store Okay, let's say uh, Macy's Macy's You walk into the perfume counter And you pick You say, listen Here's what, my wife's got a birthday coming up I want the most expensive perfume that you have Three ounces of it And uh, they say, well, you know It's such and such And I don't even know what the name of it is Let's say it's Chanel number five. Is that a perfume? Some of you some of you, yeah, it's a perfume, right? Chanel number five. How many of you have ever owned Chanel number five? Okay, a couple people in here. So, So there we go. It's a real perfume. And you said, and is it is it expensive, D? Okay, so I want three ounces of Chanel number five. And they take the bottle out and they say, Sir this is the most expensive perfume we have. Would you like it gift-wrapped? And you say, okay, well, let me look at it. And you open the box and you take the perfume out and it has a dead fly in it. Are you buying that perfume? No. Why? Because it's supposed to be the most expensive perfume. It's got the highest reputation. It's supposed to be worth the most, and it shouldn't have even one dead fly in it. Right? Now, you get the Walmart perfume, it may have 15 dead flies in it, and you'll still buy it. But it doesn't have as high of a reputation as Chanel Number 5. Now, here's the spiritual application for us, and we start with it in your notes. When someone has taken great care to maintain an honorable reputation... Just a little folly can totally undo it. So, if you have built a reputation spiritually of Chanel number five, you can wipe it all out with one fly. One dead fly can ruin a reputation. And we, we see this happen all the time in people's lives just one dead fly and, uh, and so you know what the best thing to do with dead flies is because there's got to be dead flies clean them up immediately clean them up figure out how they're getting in take great care in your life to not let folly grow we all have folly in our lives we all have foolishness we all have deceitful hearts And there's not a one of us that from time to time doesn't have a weed begin to grow in our heart. And what God wants us to do is take great attention to get that weed out as soon as the Holy Spirit shows this to us. Because we don't want it to sit in the ointment of the apothecary. So this is a great verse and there's so many applications to it that I think we can use in our lives. Now look at this second verse. Boy, this one, interesting verse right here. A wise wise man's heart is at his right hand But a fool's heart At his left Man, this is like psychology or something Men are from Mars And right brain, left brain Now this is just talking about Wise people versus foolish people And a By the way, do you know you can only have a wise heart if it's founded on truth? The human heart is naturally a foolish heart. The human heart is naturally adamant as stone, the Bible says. And so we naturally have a foolish heart. But when you begin to cultivate a heart based on truth, it can be a wise heart. And we say this in your notes, the wise man's heart will lead him to a right path. But the fool's heart will lead him in the wrong direction. So the fool, anytime he says, well, I have to follow my heart, it means that he's about to crash over another barrier. It means he's about to go over another cliff in his life. But a wise man, when he says, I have to follow my heart, what he really is saying is that there's a godly conscience involved that won't let him walk away from his responsibility. And so there's a big difference in a wise heart and a foolish heart. And sometimes we, even people who are grounded in truth, we have foolish inclinations, right? We want to walk away from a responsibility or maybe God shows us an act of compassion we're supposed to do. But in the end, our spiritual heart, our wise heart says, Oh, I got to do it. I got to go back and fix this thing. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in business or done something for someone and uh, you've had something that nagged at you for two, three weeks about a transaction or about an interaction that you had or about the way that you did customer service and you had to go back two or three weeks after the fact or two or three years after the fact and apologize just because your heart wouldn't let it go away your heart wouldn't let it go away. I remember when I was 21 years old, eight years after this happened, I was 13, I was in class, and we had a teacher who was from Virginia, and he had a deep Virginian accent, and he would always just surprise, he'd walk into class late, and he'd say, if you's talking, stand up. That's just how he'd say it. If you's talking, stand up. And if you stood up, then you had to write all these sentences. Anybody ever have to write sentences? Man, those are the pits. Yeah, you have to write sentences. So one day, I was talking, and I didn't stand up. And uh, I kind of let it go, and it didn't bother me. And I'm in college, 21 years old, and it's all I can think about for two weeks. Oh, just get over it. You didn't stand up. You're an idiot. Get over it. It's in the past. It's eight years ago. And it turned out that eventually I had to go find the guy who was my teacher when I was in junior high and say, hey, one day when you came in and said, if you was talking, stand up. I lied and I didn't stand up. He didn't even remember, obviously. But I did. And you know how much pressure went off my heart when that happened? To own up to what we're responsible for, that's a wise heart. And the wise heart will always lead you to the right place. The foolish heart will lead you to the wrong place. Verse 3 displays that with the fool. Look what it says. Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him. And he saith to everyone that he is a fool. Now you know people who might as well wear a sign on their head, I am an idiot. Right? Please don't point at anyone in the room. But the fool, that's what he does with his life. No matter what decision he makes, he always has a sign over his entire reputation that says, I am a fool. And we say it this way in your notes. As soon as the fool leaves his house, he shows everyone what he actually is, whether he means to or not. See, there are a lot of fools who don't want anyone to think that they're a fool, and so they do their best to act like they're not a fool, but the truth always comes out. It always does. It may take a while. Sometimes it takes years, but the truth comes out. And then Solomon shifts gears and we get to verse number four about the mistakes that are made by rulers or those in authority. Look at verse number four. This is a great verse for all of us to really understand and apply. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place. For yielding pacifieth Great offenses I want you to think about this Driving down the road You're at a 55 mile an hour zone A couple yard, hundred yards ahead There is a 45 mile an hour zone And about two blocks Before you get to the 45 mile an hour zone There is A police officer Hidden back in the bushes and he has set up a great trap Where the speed limit Because you're responsible as soon as you see the sign, right? And, and he pulls you over And he berates you And he's ugly to you And he's mean to you And as a result You get mean and you get ugly with him And you tell him off And you tell him that the signs are the wrong place And how dare he hide behind the weeds And you go after him Is that going to end well for you? No, that's not going to end well for you. That's what this verse is about. It's talking about when someone in authority uses their authority poorly against you, how you should respond. Whether it's your mom, or your dad, or a school teacher, or a principal, or someone in government. When they use their authority as a club And they beat you with their authority And they don't treat you wisely Look what it says If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee So the spirit of the ruler He's going to go after you. you Did you see the words of advice that are coming next? Leave not thy place Here's what it means When someone comes at you with an angry spirit, most of the time, the best thing to do is stay put. Don't rise up to meet it. Don't go against it with an angry spirit. Leave not thy place. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, also written by Solomon, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You ever been falsely accused of something? You ever been unappreciated? All you wives, go ahead and put your hands up. All right? Have you ever not been given the honor you deserve? All you husbands, raise your hand. We've all been mistreated in our own eyes from time to time, haven't we? How many of you, I want to ask the teenagers if they've ever been mistreated. They deserve to be mistreated, they're teenagers. No, the teenagers get mistreated. Mom yells at them or their dad blames, you know, the breaking of something on them. And um, whatever. And my boys, they always get blamed for everything. It just, it's, it's basically their fault, right? And if they're on the property, anytime something happens at the house, it's their fault. It's just the way it works when you're a teenager. And I learned that from my dad. So it came by it honestly. The best thing you can do in those moments is absolutely nothing. Sit there and take it. And you say, well, that's not righteous. Here's a saying that I hope you'll get and you'll remember for the rest of your life. It's better to do right than it is to be right. It's better to do right than it is to be right. Some people in the effort to be right, lose their entire testimony. Because they've got to be right. They just can't let anything go. And I'll show you this in the New Testament. There was a church with a lot of problems, a whole lot of problems, called the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. They were the most gifted church that Paul ever ministered to. In fact, they had so many spiritual gifts That they were using their spiritual gifts out of control They weren't doing it in a decent and orderly way And Paul had to write them about it But they had ten major conflicting problems in this church One of them here was in 1 Corinthians 6 Where church members were going to the magistrate To sue one another over things And there's a verse in here that I want you to get It's really good All right, look what it says. Verse number seven, the end of the verse, right in the middle. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? That's a huge verse. Now look at verse eight. May ye do wrong and defraud, and that's your brethren. So Paul's advice is, it's okay to take wrong from someone else. It's better to take wrong than it is to do wrong. So when you respond to a negative spirit with a negative spirit, guess which boat you just jumped into? The negative spirit boat. It's kind of like when one of your kids comes in and they get in trouble and they've had a conflict, and you say, well, why'd you hit him? He hit me first, right? So it was wrong for him to hit you, but it was okay for you to hit him, right? They're both wrong. And so Paul's advice and Solomon's advice is when somebody mistreats you, take it. The best example you could ever see on this is found in 1 Peter 2, where it describes Jesus Christ. How as he went a lamb to the slaughter, and when he was reviled, he answered not again, and when they buffeted him, he didn't say anything. And yet, we always feel like we have to have the last word. But I'm right. Don't they know I'm right? Can't they figure out I'm right? And sometimes you drive all the way home telling your wife, Can't they figure out I'm right? Or don't they know I'm right? Or have they not seen that I'm right? And you can repeat the same phrase 57 times when you're in this mode. Say, Pastor, how do you know? That's a different story. So, look, we have this button inside of us that says, I've got to be right on this. It doesn't matter what his authority is. It doesn't matter what his position is. It doesn't matter who she is. They can't treat me like that. You know what that is? P R I D E. Pride. Humility allows us to be mistreated in the name of Jesus Christ. And it puts us in unique territory where Jesus said, Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted. And if you get persecuted by an authority figure for being right or doing right, that's okay. So in your notes, here's what we say. Even when you're being mistreated, you have the choice to display a right spirit. Always have the choice to display a right spirit. If you ever um, see any books by Viktor Frankl, F-R-A-N-K-L, you should read them. He was a German prisoner of war uh, who later became a psychiatrist, And every day he would get up, he would comb his hair, pick the lice out of it, eat his little piece of bread and drink the filthy broth they brought him. He would stand up and uh, do his best to straighten his clothes. He would walk out the door and uh, say to his German captors captors or uh, soldiers who were over him, who were relentless, and he would look at them and say, Good day, gentlemen. Great to see you this morning. Every day. And as people around him withered and died because their attitude was, I'm mistreated. I've been wounded. I'm hurt. Frankel said, The only thing I have left is the freedom to choose how I respond. That's huge. And uh, that's straight from Solomon. So, back here in Ecclesiastes 10 now. And we find another error that leaders make. So one error that leaders make is that as human beings, they mistreat people from time to time. And leaders should keep short accounts. They need to go and apologize just as much as anybody else. Look what he said, verse 5. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. So he said here's another mistake by those in authority. Here's what it is, number 6. Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in low place. Here's, let's summarize it in your notes for you. Leaders who have no discretion will sometimes promote fools to high places, while people of character receive nothing. This happens in every organization that you've ever been in, if it's big enough where a leader will promote someone who is a rising star and everybody else around on the team says what in the world just happened because they know he's a fool they know that the guy who promoted he works only when the boss is looking and when the boss isn't looking he does nothing they know his real character and sometimes the best workers and the people richest in character never get noticed They never get promoted. They don't get to rise up the ladder while fools get promoted. And so this is a mistake that leaders make. Here's a word picture on it, verse 7. I have seen servants upon horses. Another great word picture from Ecclesiastes 10. Dead flies and servants on horses. Now look at this and princes walking as servants upon the earth. Now, if you get technical about Solomon's life, that verse is a prophecy of what's going to happen just after Solomon dies. His former servant, Jeroboam, is going to take over the kingdom, and his son, Rehoboam, is going to be demoted and lose 83% of the kingdom. Okay, so that verse is kind of a prophecy. But we describe it this way in your notes. In Solomon's era, horses were reserved only for the elite in the kingdom. But he had seen great men banished from thrones. And in the Old Testament, we see sometimes where somebody thought he owned the throne and God said, it's not your throne. Um, That happened with Saul. And David, on the other hand, when Absalom tried to take over He said it's God's throne to give And he left town barefooted With his head covered Weeping for his son If you ever want to read A great, great book That will help in your life Some of you have read it before It's called A Tale of Three Kings By Gene Edwards It's just a little book You read it in one hour It'll change your life Dealing with authority And how you should respond Saul threw javelins at David again and again And yet David said he's the Lord's anointed I'm not going to hurt him Do you know that every person who's a child of God in the New Testament Is the Lord's anointed And how dare you attack somebody else's servant Um, God's servant In in a way that you shouldn't It's, It's a great book Gene um, Edwards It's probably on It may be on Amazon They maybe have reprinted it In recent years You would do well To have that book in your library Alright next one Look at verse 8 You guys have seen this verse before It's in the Psalms It's also in the Proverbs Proverbs 26 Kind of an offshoot of this He that diggeth a pit Shall fall into it And whoso breaketh an hedge, A serpent shall bite him Now this is an essay on boundaries in our lives And a hypocrisy A lot of times the traps that we set for other people Are the traps we fall into A lot of times the boundaries that we break And then we try to set for other people End up biting us And we say it this way in your notes If we aren't cautious in our decisions We bring great trouble upon ourselves and uh, there are applications you could look at for this principle from Ecclesiastes ten eight. And I would encourage you to think of some life examples of these applications. And even go back in your life and say, you know what? That verse fit me in this situation. I tried to dig a pit. I tried to set a trap, and it ended up hurting me. Or I broke a boundary that I shouldn't have broken, and a serpent bit me. And so there's all these word pictures. Now, there's three word pictures in verse 9. Or two, two more, sorry. In verse number 9. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. Now these have meaning. These aren't just meaningless proverbs. These are things that Solomon was bringing out to his own sons as he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's the first word picture And it's in your notes If we aren't cautious in our decisions Already already did that one, sorry The next elements of the parable refer to First one, to moving boundaries Moving boundaries Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set all right, there was a law that had been given to the Jews all the way back in Deuteronomy that said, if you go and you move your neighbor's property line when he's not looking, that that is a sin. It's a big sin. And what they would do is sometimes they would go and move that stone just a little bit, and they'd move it a little bit more. they move it a little bit more. And one day your neighbor wakes up, and he's lost half his property. Like, what in the world just happened? And it didn't happen in a day. It happened over time because uh, you grew accustomed to it. By the way, that's the way Satan defeats Christians. He cuts down our inhibitions. And uh, we get used to things that we should never be used to. And we grow accustomed to things to which we should never grow accustomed. And now in the United States this summer, there will be a meeting of evangelicals were brought together in the United States to defend this is evangelicals to defend gay marriage why is it because we've been desensitized we've been accustomedized. we've been boiled like a frog and we have young evangelicals who say we can't even find where it's wrong in the Bible and I'd, I would like to invite those young people to come and speak to someone who's actually read the Bible. Especially Romans 1, which is in the New Testament, last time I checked. Um, but what happens? Confusion takes over when we move boundaries. And I'll tell you this, anytime you move a boundary that is there for a reason, you're the one who ends up getting hurt. I see parents who do this. They move boundaries for their kids who are growing up in age and have desires and want to do things and they move the boundary and guess who it ends up hurting? The parent. And the parent lives with heartbreak for years after that because they question the decisions that they made. That's what this verse is about. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. This is talking about sowing discord. This is talking about chopping wood when wood doesn't need to be chopped. Getting your axe out and stirring things up. Solomon said that's one of the worst things and God hates it. You ever read that passage in Proverbs 6? These six things that the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. You know what one of those is? He that sows discord among brethren. Somebody who creates conflict. Somebody who points out uh, the little speck in somebody else's eye when he's got a beam sticking out of his own. And uh, creating conflict, stirring up trouble. That's what's mentioned here in verse number 9. Last one in verse 10. The kids heard an awesome message at camp about an axe. And uh, it was uh, with Elisha when the sons of the prophets went to build a new dwelling and he went with them. And you may even remember this story where uh, one of the workmen lost the head of his axe and Elisha threw a stick out. The axe head floated and he picked it up and went on. Now, an awesome message. You have to ask the kids if they heard it and if they remember what it was about because it was a great application. You know, if you go out in the woods and you want to build a log cabin you will not get very many logs chopped without any tools. Right? Uh, you could take a stick. You ever try to cut a tree down with a stick? That works really well, does uh, I've seen some people um, try to cut a tree down with an axe where they just use the stick. <laughs> and then the head's gone and they can mess it up pretty bad. A good tool is really handy. And that's what this verse is about. Look what it says. If the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge or sharpen the edge, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direction. Here's what the fool does. He never sharpens his tools. You know who fools end up being? The people who always work harder instead of smarter. The people who always put more effort in and get less product out because they don't ever sharpen the tools. And if you don't sharpen the tools of your life spiritually, you have to work 10 times harder to be who you're supposed to be. The best sharpening you could do, I said it this morning, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Keep a sharp ax. And if you'll do that, This verse will apply to your life In a great way Here's the last one in your notes It takes less effort For a person to be wise Than it does for him to be foolish Wisdom is an outstanding life tool The neat thing about wisdom is It's available to everybody Anybody can have it The Bible says in James 1.5 If any of you lack wisdom Let him ask of God Which giveth to all men Liberally God is a liberal when it comes to wisdom. (laughs) God gives liberally and upbraideth not it shall be given to him. And uh, so wisdom is a wonderful tool to have in your life. Use it to sharpen you. And uh, I would encourage you to read a chapter of Proverbs every day in your life. Read through Proverbs several times a year. Uh, Some people read through Proverbs once a month. And allow the wisdom just to sharpen you. Again and again and again And uh, sometimes We keep working and we, Have you ever kind of felt like My life's not working and I don't know why and You just feel like You're beating your head against the wall And you can't get any direction and You feel like nothing has Fallen into place And that God wants us to revisit The basics Get the axe out Sharpen the axe And allow God's wisdom to work in your life Let's stand. We'll be dismissed at a closing word. Uh, In 60 seconds after we dismiss, we're going to hand out ballots for deacon and officer election. And I will introduce all of that. It'll only take about one or two minutes. Um, Apparently, is there ice cream or something? Okay, is that in the other building? All right, there's ice cream in the other building. And uh, I would love for you to come and eat it with me because I don't need very much of it. So... Um, That'll probably just be like in five minutes These elections don't take long Unless somebody has a question And if you have a question I'm not trying to stop you from asking it Um, Feel free to do that too Let's pray Father would you work now Bless us throughout this week Help us to sharpen our spiritual lives By the word of God Help us to be pliable in your hands And to be who you've created us to be Father we love you And we want to serve you with our lives this week. Help us to be a credit to your name in all that we do. We ask it in your name. Amen.